you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode series, I'm reviewing Season 2 of Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg's Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access, hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Finally, if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and pledge a minimum of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. Today on the show, I'll be discussing Downtime. It's the second episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, which premiered on June 25th, 2020 on CBS All Access. But before I get to that, I do have a couple of quick notes um, before I get to my reviews. So, um, next... The next episode after this, my review of The Who of You, um, is going to have some weird inconsistencies because I got access to screeners, um, before the show's release. And those screeners included screeners of Meet in the Middle, The Who of You, and, um, You Might Also Like. So I got screeners for episodes one, three, and ten. So my reviews of those are going to seem kind of weird because I refer to The Who of You as episode two, um, and then I think I refer to you might also like as episode three. So I don't know. We'll cover that when I get to it. But just so you know, next time on the podcast for bonus episode 43, it's going to seem kind of weird. That's why. Um, yeah. And really, that's all that I've got for that. Um, so I do want to say that if you do support us on Patreon, you will hear me review, um, in the, in the, uh, Patreon episode that's um, paired with this episode of the of the podcast, you'll hear me talk about uh, J.D. Dillard's um, 2019 sci-fi thriller, indie sci-fi thriller, um, Sweetheart, and also uh, Mike Flanagan's Oculus. So check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Just pledge a dollar per month to get access to, at this point, like 78 or 79 um, exclusive recordings, all in one go, just for a dollar. It's, uh, it's well worth it, I think. So this episode, like I said, is called Downtime, and I'm going to go ahead and go into my plot summary and talent rundown and my review. Of course, I am going to be spoiling this episode right from the jump, so if you haven't seen Downtime, go check it out on CBS All Access, and then come back and listen to this episode. So you've been sufficiently warned, so I'm going to go ahead and go into my review of Downtime. So the plot summary, courtesy of CBS All Access, is... After a recent promotion to hotel manager, Michelle feels like she's on top of the world, but any cause for celebration is short-lived when the na- when the nature of her reality is called into question. So, of course, this uh, premiered June 25th uh, with the rest of season two. Starring as Michelle Weaver is Morena Baccarin. Uh, she is notably from Firefly, uh, the Deadpool movies, and Homeland. Um, and also... Uh, co-starring as Coleman, uh, I'm sorry, co-starring as 
Carl Weaver is Coleman Domingo, who is also known for If Beale Street Could Talk, really great movie, um, and Fear the Walking Dead. And then rounding out the cast is Tony Hale as Tom, who is, of course, from uh, from Arrested Development, and Veep, and Toy Story 4. He's Forky. Uh, writer for this episode was Jordan Peele, who, of course, produces the show, hosts the show, and is known for Key and Peele, Get Out, and Us. Um, and he's also an Oscar winner. Um, director for this episode, as I mentioned before, is J.D. Dillard. Um, he directed Sweetheart, which again is available on Netflix, and I reviewed it briefly on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Okay, so the town has been run down. Let's go ahead and go into my thoughts about downtime. So my initial thoughts after my first viewing of it was that there are very obvious comparisons to be made to Black Mirror. So I'm going to try just not to bother with that. It might come up a little bit in my review, but for the most part, um, it, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious to just compare it to Black Mirror, like San Junipero and a little bit of uh black museum, I think. So, I mean, I'm going to kind of save that and not really talk about it too much. Um, and as I said before, this is the first episode I'm reviewing after watching the full season. So, um, what I did was when, when the season premiered on June 25th, I just kind of watched the entire season. <laughs> um, cause I couldn't do just, I couldn't do just one episode at a time and do the reviews and stuff. I just wanted to really absorb the season. Um, so this is the first one I have in the context of, the full season. Um, and kind of my overall thoughts is I thought that it had very good character work. Um, the world building was really interesting. Um, but what I thought stood out the most was the character journey, like the humanity and empathy that Michelle has. Um, it's a sweet story, but ultimately I kind of came away from it thinking that it didn't seem to have much to it. Um, and to be honest, I kind of expected more from a Jordan Peele written episode. So I kind of had that after my initial viewing and, I don't know. We'll see how I, how I, uh, how I come down on it in my full review. But I was really eager for this episode specifically because Jordan Peele was writing an episode. Um, I think I said on the podcast before that I respect the first season for not having that kind of, uh, draw, like, like not, not kind of, not having an episode that is written by Jordan Peele as a way to kind of sell the show. Like it kind of, the first season kind of rested on its own laurels um here they have him writing an episode um i don't know how it came about but i was very eager about this episode so i think part of that is maybe why i I felt a little bit uh i felt it lacking just a little bit but the more i kind of explored it and rewatched it and and studied it for the for the for the podcast i kind of came down on it pretty pretty well so um yeah so having said that i'm going to go ahead and go into my review once again Going to be spoiling the entire episode, so check that out uh, after you've seen the episode on CBS All Access. So the episode opens, and we're introduced to Michelle as this ambitious hotel worker that's gunning for a promotion. And kind of the opening scene, she's in the she's actually in the penthouse suite, and she's kind of gearing up for the meeting with Reggie. And her meeting with Reggie shows that she's trying to be the manager of the hotel, and. Uh, yeah, so she goes into the meeting and he is not that interested. Um, he's kind of looking off to the side. That's when she starts to tell her joke. And the joke is, I'm not going to recount the whole thing, but, um, I thought that that was interesting that the guy that's playing Reggie, her boss in this scenario, is uninterested in the more, um, 
business-like setting. Like this is this is obviously an alternate reality game, and he wants to be entertained. So she tells this joke, and then he's like, "Yeah, you got the promotion." Um, I kind of like that because it, it's kind of like she's leveled up in the game, even though they don't really say it as a game until the end, really. Um, but it is kind of like the ultimate multiplayer or um, massive multiplayer online RPG kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the opening scene and it's just establishing that she's there, that she's, um, that she's committed to her work and everything. And what I kind of wonder in retrospect is that, um, I kind of, I kind of wonder what that says about Phineas and I'll talk more about that as I go on in the review, but I kind of wonder, um, like this idea of a second life where everything functions like the real world but it seems like there are no consequences or anything. Um, it's just kind of interesting that the character of Phineas, who we never see um, in the real world that we never see, um, makes people go into this alternate alternate reality when they sleep. And it's kind of a comfort for them. I just thought that, that was an interesting premise to set up. So she goes to the desk and she is... Uh, she handles a customer service uh, situation. And I thought that that was interesting that someone would choose a profession within an alternate reality in which they would have to deescalate customer service altercations and stuff like that. And it shows that she's very good at it. Like she's very pleasant with the people. Um, <laughs> I do want to say that, God, the, that couple, the man, I just wanted to punch him in the face. I'll get to that in a second. So, um, yeah, so... <laughs> I just found the whole concept of Phineas's character really fascinating. Like my read of it, and I'll talk about it more later, of course, is that he's overcome by this world. He's overtaken by it. So that's why he killed himself in the real world. Um, it, because he wants to live in the game. It's something that's just consumed him. And something that I thought was interesting was the dialogue between Michelle and Reggie in that first scene where Reggie says, I've never seen anyone so dedicated to this place. And he's, it's a double meaning because he's talking about the hotel, but I think he's also talking about sleep away, the entire concept of it. And then Michelle says, I can't imagine doing anything else. This means so much to me. So that's another kind of double sided thing, even though she doesn't, she's not conscious of Phineas. I think that that's also kind of a double meaning there, at least subconsciously. And it kind of plays into this whole season long theme of escape. Um, throughout the Twilight Zone in this season. Phineas wanted to escape the real real world, presumably, for a fake one, whereas Michelle is faced with the choice to escape the only world that she knows. And I think that that's an interesting dynamic at play in this episode. And even though the episode as a whole didn't sit with me as well as most of the other episodes this season, I still respect it for the themes it plays with and, and the things that it did within that framework. I thought that was really interesting. So then we get to the angry couple at the customer service desk. And the guy Jeffrey is is trying to help them, but he's <laughs> failing. Um and God, this couple, I hate them so much. The guy has such a like I hate the guy's face. Like he it's contorted into this permanent sneer, and he's just such a dick. Um, I just I hate it. And so he has this uh air of entitlement. He talks about like their, their big complaint is that our room has three windows. The King suite and the brochure has four windows and they paid for the King suite. And it's like, okay. So like, that's ridiculous, but <laughs> Michelle easily handles them, upgrades them to the penthouse and gives them a voucher for a complimentary drink and everything. She's very civil and very good at customer service. And, uh, 
Jeffrey says like, oh, I don't know how you do it. And I thought that was interesting because I found it interesting that the entire sleepaway world with, for the, for the most part is kind of kind and courteous. Like it's just kind of a normal thing. And Phineas thrives as Michelle, um, as the driven and ambitious customer service focused person, um, because presumably he can handle this kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It's just, I found it just really fascinating that the concept of the sleepaway thing is that it's a vacation from reality and that gamers in sleepaway want a life, ex- life experience free of the struggle and tension and stresses of real life. So when Jeffrey is able to, when he, when he is confronted with, you know, uh, unruly people <laughs> and everything, he doesn't know how to handle it because presumably that the whole concept of sleepaway is that they want a life free of stress. Um, but Michelle, played by Phineas, uh, thrives off of that. So I thought that was really interesting. But something that I kind of, I don't know, um, didn't, I didn't understand quite, <laughs> quite well was, uh, Michelle tells Jeffrey that you did have an attitude. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I don't know what we're meant to infer from that. Um, cause I don't think he did, but the best I can think of is that maybe it's showing us that Phineas kind of feels powerful as Michelle. I think, I don't know. Um, so, um, throughout the screeners that I, I, uh, watched, um, the who of you meet in the middle and you might also like, I noticed, uh, several St- uh, Stanley Kubrick references. I'll talk about that more in the next episode. Cause I just realized that in meet in the middle, I referenced it as something else. And then in the who of you, I'll clear that up as a Kubrick reference. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm kind of curious if the running gag or running Easter egg throughout the season is a Stanley Kubrick reference in each episode. Now, I've seen all the episodes and I couldn't pick up many in the other episodes. Like in the other, at this point, six episodes or seven episodes. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> six episodes of the season that I haven't reviewed, uh, recorded a review of. Um, I didn't pick up on the Stanley Kubrick references in them, but I wasn't really looking because I was just kind of absorbing them. But here, in this moment of the episode of, of downtime, when she's walking, uh, after she tells Jeffrey that she's going to go on her break and she's walking down the hallway, I am like 99% sure that the music that's playing is the music from The Shining. I'm going to go on my break now. Jeffrey, you did have an attitude. So there's a Stanley Kubrick reference there. There's a Stanley Kubrick reference in Meet in the Middle that I'll talk about in the next episode. And there's a Stanley Kubrick reference in You Might Also Like and um, The Who of You. So we'll see what the other episodes have uh, when I dig into them further. Okay, so Michelle goes on her break and she goes to kind of a coffee house and we hear her talking on the phone to her husband, Carl, uh, telling him the good news about the promotion and everything. Um, and he says, they have a conversation where it's like, oh, I'll be home at nine, blah, blah, blah. And then he sa- he threatens to watch Ovation alone without her. Um, and like, it's cute. It's It's fine character building and everything and establishing the husband character. But I don't need the interconnectivity, honestly. <laughs> like, I don't need these episodes to to reference each other. Like, um, I don't know. I just, I don't need it. Like, I didn't really care for it in Black Mirror, and I don't need it here in The Twilight Zone. To its credit, it's not as prevalent in The Twilight Zone, not yet at least. But, 
like, I, I just, I feel like this is a slippery slope that leads to just a lot of really, I don't know, a lot of clickbaity think pieces about, oh, this is set in this universe and this is the timeline of the Twilight Zone. And we don't need that. Like, we got that with Black Mirror. I don't care for it in Black Mirror, but we don't need it um, in the Twilight Zone. I just, I don't know. It's not anything that broke the episode for me or the season for me, but it's something that I just, I don't really care for. So her break is interrupted by the... It's kind of confusing because it is her character or her person in the real world having a heart attack, presumably. Um, and it's crossing over into her world. So it's, she's like, it's all disoriented and, and there's a big siren and everything. And then it's also signaling the beginning of downtime. So, um, it's big. <laughs> it's loud and intrusive. And I gotta say, the sound design in this episode, it's like, it's cool. It's, it's big and bombastic, but man, I had to lower the volume and then raise the volume. Like, it's like, uh, very big. Like, it's, it's a little too loud. Um, but so, so when that happens, Michelle leaves and she's running outside. And I love the music that plays here. And like, the music in this episode is really good. Um, Marco Beltrami and Brandon Peters did a really good job, really good job this season. And in this particular one, it's kind of this, um, energetic, almost futuristic kind of guitar, electric guitar riff, I think. I don't know. As I've said before, I don't know music at all. So, uh, but I like the propulsion of it. It's, it's very, uh, it's different from the other episodes music. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, definitely propulsive and energetic. And then we get our shot of the giant orb in the sky. And man, that looks kind of just, it's so imposing and, and really well done. It looks really cool. And we see a bunch of people just staring up at it and waking up from sleep away. And I like that everyone is in the know except for Michelle. Um, because I, I think I would say it's probably because Phineas has overtaken control of the character to an extent. Um, I don't know if, so it's interesting. I don't know if she was aware, like if, if, her scenes before this was Phineas portraying Michelle. And then after the kind of heart attack scene, maybe that's when she becomes Michelle, Michelle, um, and like gains sentience of the character. Um, that's probably the closest theory that I have to it. Um, that's, that's where I'm kind of, kind of go with, but either, either way, I like that in this scene, everyone is in the know except for Michelle. And like, there's a, there's a shot of a couple saying they'll see each other soon because they're about to wake up. And then <laughs> I love that the kind of older or middle-aged woman, uh, comes up and, and greets Michelle and she says, yo, when did they say that? <laughs> how long did they say downtime was going to be? And Michelle obviously doesn't have a clue what she's talking about. But I like that as establishing that these characters in this world are avatars. And, uh, also it's worth mentioning that in the commotion, we get a, a scene, uh, kind of a cool, like, angle. It's a lower angle by, like, what looks like maybe a phone booth or something. Um, but we see a street sign that says Maple Street. Um, so that was kind of cool. So that is, uh, oh, she runs, she runs through the town, and that's when we get our opening narration from Jordan Peele. So I'm gonna go ahead and play that opening narration here. 
Michelle Weaver is a woman who's worked her entire life to get where she is in the world. Now, as this new chapter begins, it's the world itself that's about to change. She's about to take a break from life as she knows it and book an extended stay here in the Twilight Zone. And I like that opening narration. For the most part, the opening narrations in this uh, in this season have been very good. Um, this one is very succinct and satisfying. I love the kind of um, hotel motif of it, I guess. Um, just <laughs> life as she knows it and book an extended stay here in the Twilight Zone. I, I like that a lot. So after the opening theme music, we get more of Michelle running through the city and running through the town, a residential street and everything. Um, and just everyone is blank and staring at the sky. Um, I got super, uh, I, I got vibes of elegy from this, uh, from this moment, from this particular part of the episode, uh, the original series episode elegy where astronauts land on an asteroid and find just people frozen in place and uh, Twilight Zone stuff happens. So I got vibes of Elegy off of this. So um, she finds a police officer that's conscious and asks for help. And he's of no help. He just says it's scheduled world maintenance. Um, and she asks, what do we do? And he just says, we just wake up. And he drops his cup and it's a Busy Bee Diner cup. And we see a Busy Bee Diner in the episode as well. And, okay, <laughs> um, I have a small gripe. It's just, it's, I don't know. Um, there are 156 episodes of the original series of The Twilight Zone. And I really wish that this iteration of The Twilight Zone would only stick to, like, one original series reference per episode. Like, one or two original series episode reference per episode of the new one. So... What I mean by that is that I, I kind of wish that they, cause I mean, there's no way that this series is going to run for 156 episodes. There's just no way that that's going to happen. Um, I do hope that it gets renewed for season three and I'm very delighted to see all of the positive kind of, uh, tweets and everything on my timeline about the show. So my fingers are crossed that it's going to have a third season, but. I mean, realistically, 10 episode seasons, they're not going to have 15 episodes or 15 seasons of The Twilight Zone. That's just not going to happen. So you have 156 original series episodes. If they were to make references to that original series, which would be great, which is great. I love seeing the Easter eggs and stuff. I wish that they would just like have like a list of all 156 episodes and when they work on an episode of the reboot, mark a couple episodes of the original series off the list and make references to them in in that episode, and then not make references to that episode again. Um, I just think that that would be kind of that would be more rewarding and and cooler instead of just seeing Busy Bee Diner literally everywhere. Um, so that's just a small like nitpick that I have. Again, it doesn't detract the show or anything, but I don't know. It just it's it's starting to bug me just just slightly. So Michelle runs into her house to find her husband Carl and uh there's this really cool easter egg that JD Dillard uh tweeted out a screenshot of that I did not catch. So when she meets Carl upstairs and they're talking and she's like freaking out and stuff, it's kind of I mean it's kind of um maybe not heartbreaking but it's it's kind of just jarring because he just dips right into his uh, an Irish accent. And 
it, like it's completely confusing to her and like this is her best friend in the world this is her husband and she's trying to find like comfort in him and wants wants him to help her and stuff and then he is just on like uh just uh immediately a completely different person and uh <laughs> kind of a running theme cuz the same kind of thing happened in the who of you but he is just a completely different person and he's of no help and then he eventually wakes up outside so the kind of fun JD Dillard uh, Easter egg that he that he posted on his Twitter account, which is JG Dillard, I think, um, is <laughs> a screenshot of her on the steps, um, kind of on the landing um, upstairs, and the painting that's right behind her is has the kind of a Sims like diamond symbol that is on top of the Sims heads in the in the Sim game. Sims games. Um, it's just really cool because it's the, obviously this world is a simulation and stuff. And I, I thought that was a really clever, uh, Easter egg, uh, to put in the episode. So they go downstairs and Carl says, no, my name's Danny and tells her to drop the character. And when Michelle starts telling him all the things about him, like he leaves a lot of like candy on the bedside table and stuff. And he has a crooked toe and all that stuff. I got such a strong, vibe from uh like a, a world of difference the original series episode um i just got such such a vibe uh such a world of difference vibe and i was very much into it um because that's a very cool episode but i got that vibe from it and i thought that was really cool and uh so yeah so then carl goes outside and wakes himself up but i do like the care that goes into the way that he tells her that he'll contact them and send help and she obviously has no idea what the hell he's talking about <laughs> um but um i just i like it i i like it from his perspective it's like oh yeah it's not a big deal i'm just gonna i'll call customer service and they'll come in and help you but from michelle's perspective though like i said her best friend and husband is of little to no help when she is experiencing a very intense crisis um so yeah so almost immediately customer service arrives and they're young looking it kind of reminded me of like kind of 21st century tech startup imagery like kind of like the cool like uh, early twenties kids that are like part of a multi-million dollar tech industry startup thing. Um, that's the vibe I got from it. And they are also customer service oriented They're I mean, they're customer service reps and that's kind of a, an overarching thing throughout the episode is this kind of customer service focus kind of, I kind of wish it would have dealt a little bit more into it, but it kind of seems like this interesting dichotomy between customer service kind of, fake pleasantry tone and actual human empathy and, and stuff. I'll talk more about that later, but I just thought that that was an interesting tone for the episode to strike. So the customer service guys eventually show Michelle a commercial for Sleepaway. Uh, that same commercial is seen kind of in part in meet in the middle. Um, I referenced it in my review last week. Um, and so this is where it's revealed that this is a dream world, literally. So when you go to sleep, you're transported to sleep away and you spend a day as your character while you sleep in the real world. And, uh, one thing that I, just a nerdy thing that I have is I kind of, I'd be very interested to know how like time dilation works in that scenario. So like, I don't know, like if you wake up and have to go to the bathroom or something in the middle of the night, like, do you still live that full day? and then wake up or is it kind of interrupted like it is when there's downtime? I don't know. 
But I did like how the commercial references it as the cutting edge of identity ter- tourism. And I like that as a concept a lot. It's this idea where you can uh, just explore a different life, like a completely different life. And it's interesting that it's another kind of focus of this, of this season. Um, the idea, idea of escape and identity and introspection. Um, it's something that's prevalent throughout almost every episode of the season, if not every episode of the season. And it's really just interesting to me and really satisfying. It's, I gotta say, it's so much better than the kind of outwardly focused, uh, world issue thing that, that was, uh, all the rage of season one. <laughs> like, I know a lot of people didn't like that. I liked season one. I was a fan of season one. But the fact that this season is kind of all about introspection and about, you know, personal identity and and empathy and everything is something that I just found so enthralling throughout the entire season. So I really loved it. Um, so then the customer service guys tell them that Phineas Lowell is the guy who is playing her and he had a heart attack that sent him into a coma. And I, I love Morena Baccarin's, uh, performance in this episode. She says, you're not, you're not talking to Phineas, you're talking to Michelle. And again, that's, that's a world of difference. That, that is the episode of world of difference. And I, I love this episode for that. I love this part of the episode for that. Um, and so it's just this identity crisis that, uh, that Michelle is going through and she's just coming to terms with the fact that, you know, the world she knows is not real. It's fictional. It's this, this game that she lives in, this simulation. And I just found that really interesting from a character perspective of her coming to terms with that reality and how she is this person who is so customer service focused and so, uh, I would, I would go ahead and say empathetic. Like she is an empathetic person. Um, how she's coming to terms with this idea that, okay, she has a real person trapped within her. Um, and the kind of conflict that arises from that I thought was really satisfying. So then customer service brings in Phineas's wife, Ellen, and they say that he, that she is her, that she is his emergency contact for the game. And I love the hostility that Ellen has toward the customer service guys. Um, cause they mentioned like, oh, we need to unsync her. And he's like, she's like, you're not going to do any of that. People pay an arm and a leg for the service. And as far as I can tell, no one understands how it works. And I just love the panic in, in her performance. Um, I did not include her in the talent rundown. I really regret that. Um, let me look up the actress's name. Sarinda Swan plays Ellen Lowell. Um, so I just love the panic in her voice and everything. And then she says that she wants to talk to Michelle. So Ellen and Michelle walk through the, through the streets in a park and everything. And this is where I kind of thought that, okay, this episode is about someone who is so bound to her role in a customer service job being faced with an impossible decision. So Michelle exists in a literal fantasy world, and this situation is completely shattering that illusion. So she is faced with this choice of whether or not to give up her life to, for the ultimate customer service uh, thing to save Phineas or to stay in this manufactured simulation that she lives in and just com- continue playing the game. So it's a really interesting existential kind of nightmare that she finds herself in um, that I think the episode kind of squanders at the end, just a, just a little bit, but I'll get to that. So Ellen sits down with, with, uh, 
with Michelle and she tells the story of uh, their romance, uh, Phineas and, and Ellen's romance. And the story of the proposal is sweet. I, I thought that uh, um, that was that was a sweet moment and everything. But then again, he's still, as it's revealed at the end, and this is what I kind of think makes the episode just a little bit clunky, is at the end, Tom uh, tells Michelle that, <laughs> that Phineas downed a bunch of sleeping pills. So I, I don't know. It, that is just a weird, um, a weird kind of disconnect for me. Like, okay, Ellen is in love with Phineas and they have like, she has, she tells, tells Michelle about this kind of perfect life they have and everything. Um, albeit corny, <laughs> but, uh, he still made the choice to, to overdose on sleeping pills so that he could be in the game forever. Um, so I don't know, but anyway, anyway, Michelle mentions that she feels like there's an instant connection that they've known each other their whole lives. And then, so they kiss and that's ultimately for kind of nothing really. Um, and again, this dilemma all comes down to whether or not Michelle will give up her life for a person in the real world, uh, so that that person in the real world would maybe still have a future. So at this moment, Michelle agrees to unplug, but she can't. And she just lets Ellen unsync. And it's a little shady, but um, again, it's kind of an extension of what happened. This is what happens when someone who helps others is faced with a situation where she must only help herself. Like she's confronted with a situation that she's her very existence is about to crumble is potentially going to crumble. So she is faced with this very hard decision. So I can't really falter that much for letting Ellen just, just go. So then after Ellen unsinks, uh, Michelle is kind of wandering around and she, uh, goes to evade the customer service guys again. And this time she goes back to the hotel and she makes her way into the penthouse suite. So this, I was kind of confused about. I wasn't really sure why she went to the penthouse suite specifically. Um, I thought maybe it was because she, it was secure for her, but I, I don't see how that's possible. But, um, I kind of also think that it's where she stays. That's her like default place. Maybe. I don't know. Cause she has the house with Carl. Um, the only reason I say that is because it's where the opening scene takes place, where she is preparing for her, her, uh, her meeting with Reggie. She's in the penthouse suite. Um, so maybe it's just an extension of her wanting to be the manager of the hotel. Like she's in the top place of it. Um, and maybe that's her way of kind of gaining control of the situation, I guess. Um, I don't know. But anyway, she goes into the, into the, uh, penthouse suite and the obnoxious couple from earlier are just standing still because they've woken up and (laughs) she tips the man over which i thought was pretty funny um yeah and there's not much to this episode in terms of just dramatic propulsion or anything um it's kind of it's just kind of goes through the paces a little bit and that's one of the downfalls of this episode for me so we cut back from like a commercial break kind of thing and she's laying in the penthouse suite on the bed and a bird knocks, <laughs> a bird knocks on the window. And that just reminded me of like the silly, I don't think it's a full blown conspiracy theory, but I think it's a meme or whatever that, uh, the idea that birds don't exist, that, <laughs> that all birds are robots and they sit, sit on power lines because that's, uh, they need to recharge their batteries. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just, I just like that. But anyway, the bird hits, knocks on the window and everything. And then again, the soundtrack gets just 
amplified because it starts it starts wailing and crowing with its uh with its siren sound and just alerting customer service that that that's where she is so she makes it to the roof and we get the announcement from the orb saying that world maintenance ends in five minutes and that's where she meets tom and we're almost to the end of the episode that's another thing that kind of surprised me about this season is that the majority of episodes are only about 30 to 35 minutes long which i know was a big complaint from people from last season i just thought that was really uh I mean, they work. They work well. Um, and I, I have no complaints for that. I do think it's funny that the three episodes that they, uh, screened for critics were, were all like 45 minute episodes. Um, I thought that was funny. But anyway, so Tom appears on the roof. It's, it's Tony Hale and he identifies himself. He's like, I'm Tom. I'm escalated, uh, priority customer service. And again, like the episode doesn't have much propulsion because, this scene where, where Tom is, is just, he immediately just disregards like, okay, the customer service team, they're, they're gone. They're fine. Um, and everything. So like the whole idea of the customer service people chasing her in the hotel just doesn't factor into anything really. So anyway, so Tom identifies himself and I really love his very calm and kind customer service voice where he's just like, he's, he's disarming and, and deescalating Michelle. He's saying that like, uh, uh, she says something about send, send them away about the customer service people. And she's like, and he's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're gone. They were just trying to help. They're just trying to help. They're fine. They're gone. I called them off. Um, it's just very disarming and, and pleasant. And so this is where I feel like the episode kind of lo- lost me a little bit because the whole thing comes down to this scene of dialogue between. Michelle and Tom. And Tom is kind of this deus ex machina saying that, okay, well, this big choice that you have, whether or not to unplug and let, let Phineas have his life and a chance at recovery and a, a life with Ellen and their kids and everything, thereby destroying Michelle's existence or to stay in and, and keep Phineas in a coma or keep him just like disregard him and sweep him under the rug, as she said. Like that is the big choice that she has but this just completely negates that like it just because he's just like well you know phineas is dead he just we took him they took him off life support and he died five minutes later so there's nothing to go back to and that didn't really sit well with me because that just negates her choice and the kind of big uh big moment of the episode but on the other hand it also just keeps her or puts her in a position of whether or not she wants to play along with this simulation. Like now that she knows that her entire world is, uh, is a simulation and not real. Um, does she still participate? Does she still live in this world, even though she has the knowledge that it's not real? And I guess that's fine. Like that's okay. But I just felt like there, there was more, um, importance or there was more, uh, existentialism in the other choice that was taken away by just signing a waiver. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that didn't really sit well with me, but I did like the, uh, just how can I stay in a world that I know isn't real that, I mean, that was kind of satisfying. So, um, yeah, so she signs a waiver, Tom leaves. And, uh, again, I love the music. So the downtime is ending. And the music that's playing at the end is kind of this, again, this kind of electric guitar kind of riff thing that's kind of futuristic, but also kind of 80s, I guess. I, again, I know nothing of music. So, yeah. 
Um, and we get the reveal that she chose to stay. And kind of the last shot is, uh, Ellen coming into the hotel and checking into the hotel for a few weeks. And I guess it's implied that, uh, they're going to strike up some kind of romance or some kind of friendship because again, it's not really that clear if, Phineas is still in her, or if any part of Phineas is still in her. That's kind of up in the air. That's ambiguous. But I kind of like that it's this extension of Michelle's customer service kind of thing that she's like, okay, yeah, well, you know, I'll find something in this uh, in this world to latch onto, and that something is presumably Ellen. Um, because like Michelle said in the, in the park, uh, she felt like she had a connection with her. So I guess that's, that's fine. I, that's okay. And I mean, that's the end of the episode. I, there's, again, there wasn't a lot of, um, narrative propulsion or dramatic propulsion in this episode. Um, but we get the closing narration from Jordan Peele and I'll go ahead and play that here. How would you feel if you spent your life making your dreams a reality? Only to find out that reality itself is a dream all along. We can never know what makes something real. But today, Michelle Weaver has found meaning in an otherwise synthetic world. I would like to rent a room for a few weeks, please. And that's good enough for her. Here, in the Twilight Zone. So this is the first time in the series that uh, Jordan Peele does not appear in the well that <laughs> he doesn't appear in the uh, closing narration. I'm going to amend that because he didn't appear in the closing narration for Blurry Man, of course, but he doesn't appear in his own closing narration is what I mean. Um, and that happens again, <clears throat> happens again this season as well. So that's uh, interesting. So that does it. I said all of my uh notes and everything for the uh um uh the easter eggs and everything however i do want to mention that this episode does um like i said so this episode does invite a lot of comparisons to black mirror um because it is very much focused on technology and a, and a, a technological breakthrough and how it affects humanity and the human person um so that is something that is very evident in Black Mirror, of course. So there's comparisons to be made to that show for sure. But I also want to point out that it is also similar to uh, an episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which I swear I'm going to cover at some point in this podcast. I promise. Um, but the first episode of Electric Dreams is called Real Life. And the plot summary of that is, in a near future, a policewoman who still blames herself for a past tragedy accepts her loving wife's suggestion to take a vacation in a virtual simulation. But she soon realizes that this might be the real life and hers is his is a simulation so that's interesting um i thought i thought that was interesting not to say that jordan peele ripped off electric dreams or anything but i just kind of think that's interesting in terms of just science fiction television science fiction anthology storytelling basically um and that's really all the notes that i have um, let me know what you thought of downtime and next up on the feed here in a couple of days, you'll hear my review of the who of you, which is episode three. Um, that'll come out on the feed on July 2nd. Um, until then, thank you guys so much for listening and hope you guys are enjoying season two of the twilight zone. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.
And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, my cat just came out. Um, yeah, oh, speaking of the cat, speaking of pizza, I got her a new bed that is a pizza bed. Um, from meowingtons.com. Uh, she has yet to use it as a bed. Um, I've put her toys in it, but she has not, uh, used it as a bed or anything. She loved the box it came in, so that is, uh, just classic, classic cat stuff. Um, oh, big stretch, big stretch! Alright, so she just stretched. Okay, so, uh, the movie Sweetheart, it is from 2019, it is available to stream on Netflix, I do recommend it, um... Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! (laughs) 